Welcome, everyone. I am trusting that the live stream is going. Yes, I got the thumbs up. All right. Welcome, everyone, this morning. Um, we are starting our series talking about um, death and dying. And so let us pray. Holy and loving God, wisdom of the universe, you have showed us through your Son that even in the midst of death, there is life and love and community. Be present with us as we begin these courageous conversations on preparing for a holy death. Be present in the conversations open our hearts and our minds and grant us strength to do the work we have been given to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we have these three courageous people who said yes to me, <laughs> which I very much appreciate. Um, we have John Stewart back again. He's Yay. becoming a superstar. What are the odds of that? I know. John Stewart is up here representing. He's a member of the Community of Hope at St. Luke's, and this is a community of parishioners um, who are steeped in the Benedictine spirituality, um, and they are trained to serve others through compassionate <clears throat> listening. And so John Stewart is here to represent that great community. Um, over here we have Jenna McFarling. She is a nurse practitioner who has worked in women's health for 25 years and worked in the inpatient hospice center for hospice Atlanta for 10 years. Um, she is now retired from clinical work, but does work with individual clients in planning a meaningful death. And finally, we have my colleague, the Reverend Horace Griffin, who's the Senior Associate for Pastoral Care and Community Ministries. And uh, in addition to his clinical and pastoral training and teaching of pastoral care with the dying, he also served for a year as a hospice chaplain. So lots of wisdom and experience up here on this panel. So help me welcome the three of them. Um, and let's thank Elizabeth for putting this series together. It's timely. Yeah. So our, our bishop um, wisely said to many of us um, early this year that when you've had something like COVID happen, and church is bad about this, right? You, that horrible things happen, big things happen in the world, and we keep doing what we've always done. Sometimes we don't have a moment to say, wait a minute, something, something's very different. And COVID is one of those times where we've had enough time to notice that something is very different. And one of the, what he recommended to us is when we come back and think about our educational programming and all, everything we're doing, um, let's not pretend COVID didn't happen and isn't happening to us. And so this is part of our response to what's actually happening in our community, which is that we are paying attention differently, most of us, to death. Right? It's, it's sort of all around us. It's always all around us, but it's around us in a different way in this time. Um, so death and grief aren't, aren't easy topics. Most church communities, and this is one, we're optimistic people. We're happy people. Um, we'll laugh off almost everything. Um, and it's important to take seriously that, that Jennifer, what I hear, we're all going to die, right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. And um, so like... 
preparing for birth, which these days, you know, if you're getting ready to have a baby, there's a birth plan now. Mm -hmm. It often doesn't work the way you've planned it. Rarely, in my experience, does it work the way you've planned it, but it actually helps to think through with people that have been there before um, or have watched it before, all of the parts that you might want to consider, which takes a lot of the anxiety and stress away from it, brings to, to, the, um, to the front of our minds um, what we carry, and this is true with I think, birth and death, um, our fears, our worries, the places that we need support, um, and help us to get ahead of some things that, again, and we don't have to go at it as though no one's ever given birth before or no one's ever died before. Um, so what we're going to, we have an expert panel here um, to guide us through some questions. So one, we're all going to die. People in faith communities, um, I think one of the reasons we gather in faith communities is that we know we're going to die, right? We know that people we love will die and have died. And we're not avoiding that. And we want to make, um, we want our lives to have meaning. And I don't know if any of us, many of us are articulate about this, but we want our deaths to have meaning as well. Right? We want to have done the work. So we've got some people here to one, talk to us about how a community deals with death, um, and also how we think about dying well, and how we can prepare for that. So Jenna, I'm just going to start with that. Tell, so Jenna's done workshops here. I think many of you have been to them. We're going to run them again, um, and you're going to see some classes on how we think about how you think about um, what you do with your money, um, how you prepare your will, um, how you think about the legacy you want to leave, um, how you think about the service you want to have, like all these very concrete parts that take us down to the deeper parts of what our values are and what we hoped we accomplished while we were here and how we want to be remembered. So let's just start with, Jen, I'll just start with that. Tell, tell, okay, tell that's me, I was going to say that. Is that okay? Can you no. tell, tell me a little bit about, <laughs> tell me a little bit about um, how we prepare? So, well, first of all, I think to, you know, to your point about birth and, and weddings preparations, you know, not everybody gets married and not everybody has a baby, but everybody dies. So we all get to plan one big event in our life, at least. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, I think the important part is, is the preparation part of um, the living will and the trying to get all your things in order. My, my experience has been a lot of people, um, most of the time, we don't have a lot of time to prepare. We might get sick, get cancer, and have a short time. And so we don't want to be worrying about who's going to take care of this and who's going to take care of that. And so I think it's really important to get that kind of stuff done. But for me, what I like to do with people is I, for having a meaningful death after we get all the that kind of stuff out of the way is to really think about what is my legacy? What what am I going to leave behind? And and um, my vision is is the actual when I'm dying in a room and I have the, to think about what I actually want. Do I want music on or do I want the TV on or do I want people in my room with cell phones or do I want people eating food while I'm dying? You know, it's just those kind of things. Things that bother you right now while you're alive are really going to bother you as you're dying. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, um, so kind of be aware of that. And, um, and I've just had experiences on both sides where, you know, there are people in a room eating fried chicken and hooting and hollering in the ball game, and their poor mother is just trying to be peaceful. So I think it's important to know that about yourself and write it down. Let people know what you want for your plans. I mean, none of us have died before, but we know what makes us comfortable. We know what makes us feel good. You know, is there an art piece I want to look at? Is there those kind of things are, are helpful? And um, and some of the people that I've helped, you know, we've made plans on how 
to have two people in the room only at one time, or who can come and who can. And one of them, we had people take off their shoes before they came into the room because she wanted it to be a spiritual experience. And so there's a lot of brainstorming you can do about the actual death process. And I think when we actually plan that, it's kind of like planning a wedding or something. We've got details. And we've got things that make it feel like it's our death and our life that we're, you know, um, celebrating. And, and we get to call it. It's our last shot to call what we want, to say, I want this and I want that. So to me, that's really, really important, too. And um, again, planning as you go to funerals, music you've listened to or whatever, you know, put them aside. Make sure you know what you want. The more we can do, the better it is for our families. And, you know, even to the point of writing your own obituary, which we may do in a workshop sometime, I don't know. But um, I just think what we want to say about ourselves, what we want people to know about ourselves, you know, why not say it before we go? Yeah. You know, and instead of putting it in somebody else's words, um, you know, like maybe in an obituary, instead of saying she was the president of Junior League and she did this and she did that, you know, maybe she, she loved to go fishing with her grandson, Bill. You know, um, that's what brought her the greatest joy in life. I mean, whatever speaks to you, you know, and so I think it's a, a something that, anyway, I think that's enough. Well, actually, I have a follow-up for that. Okay. Um, when you've guided people through this process, have you worked with people that have, that this process kind of then triggers that they need to do things about relationships in their lives or their, their history? Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's people that, you know, you talk about people, I've talked to people about, you know, who in their life that, do they have any amends they need to make or anybody that they want to have any final things. And, and we've written letters to people um, and done things like that. One woman, for her legacy, she wanted to, um, she said, I asked her what she wanted people to remember, and she said um, she wanted people to remember her stories because she was very funny and she had great stories. So she wrote all of her friends, and or I wrote her friends, and um, they sent me stories of interaction with her. And then as she was actually dying, the people that were in her room read those stories to her. Oh, wow. And so, you know, it's, I mean, it just, it's so individual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta, you do what, what works for you and what you think would feel good. You know, I mean, we've been with people dying and we know what, when we're with them, we think we know what they want. But, um, so that kind of gives us an idea of what we would want. But, you know, not necessarily do we know what everybody wants. So, anyway. And Horace, you've had experience preparing people for death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to speak to, to that part of it, because a lot of it is just the, the dynamics of, or, or the surround, what we want, the, the very practical things, and how we want the setting to be. And, I'm, and, and I talk about that. But I really look at the spiritual aspect, and they're wanting. Uh, so when I talk with, as a hospice chaplain, as a priest, talking with parishioners, talking with patients about getting ready, and it's really dealing with a lot of those things that are still troubling them: relationships, uh, fractured relationships, broken relationships. Um, and there are five things I usually take a person through. Dr. Ira Bayak has written about five things that to ask a person as, as a way of getting them ready for a good death or a holy death. And it's about who do you need to forgive? 
Who do you need to ask forgiveness from? Who do you need to say I love you? Who do you need to thank? And who do you need to say goodbye to? And so sometimes we have people who are really struggling and sometimes it's because they haven't taken care of those things. It's a way, it's kind of freeing yourself from this world and preparing to go to the other um, world beyond us. And I think that's one aspect and there's also some fear for many. The fear of going into the unknown. Even those who believe is still, well, we haven't had people come back to us <laughs> in this life uh, to tell us what it's like. So it's this thing of belief, but it's also a little scary of going through that. I remember as a chaplain, there was this one man who had languished between life and death. He had had cancer, lung cancer, really struggled for weeks and weeks. Family members were preparing for his death, and he just was just there in suffering. And I went into his room one night, and I talked with him about Jesus waiting for him to help him cross to the other side. And we, I, that was in my prayer, and praying that Jesus, that he didn't have to be afraid, that Jesus would help him across. The next morning, I went in, he had passed away. So I think it's just getting people comfortable, either, so the spiritual, emotional side of that, uh, getting beyond the fear, and also right relationships. In addition to what I found, people wanting to make sure their life made a difference. And so one parishioner who wanted, he was working on the history of one of my parishes in Chicago, and he had ALS. And so he was dying, and he was working on the history of St. Edmund's Episcopal Church. And he wanted to make sure, he, we talked about that, that that made a difference, that he was going to leave that as part of his legacy, that he, he wrote the history of St. Edmund's. Um, so that's important. If people can usually have those, those, those set of things, uh, get beyond their fears, and also, they're going to leave something behind for us. Thank you. John, tell us about Community of Hope. Well, clearly, that's why I'm on this panel today <laughs> with these folks. Uh, Community of Hope is our lay pastoral ministry here. And uh, we try to help Horace and, and Winnie and Elizabeth uh, all we can. Um, there's just three of them, count them, one, two, three. Uh, so there's, there's a lot <laughs> that, that we can do, a lot we can help with. And uh, we've had some training and some experiences. And uh, I want you to know who they are, by the way. These, there are eight of us under Horace's guidance. You might have to help me here, John, if I forget. <laughs> but the ladies are, are Martha Loki and Marilyn Williams, whose birthday is today. Yep. Yay. Happy birthday. <laughs> here. Uh, Jackie Lawrence right here and Fontaine Draper. And the guys are John Zintak, John Stewart, Bert Compton, and David Gillen. So that's, that's your Community of Hope uh, ministers. So as I say, we've had some training and a good bit of experience since being commissioned about three and a half years ago. <laughs> Fort, was it 14, 14 weeks? weeks of, well, Very trained. 
every Monday night for three hours trekking out to uh, Holy Innocence. Uh, yeah. But it was, it was all good. But the, there's, there's one experience that I, I want to share with you this morning that all eight of us participated in, and that was when Rob Aaron was in his um, last weeks of life. And, um, and by the way, I asked uh, Judith if, if I could tell this story, and she said, absolutely, I want you to tell it, and, and was very encouraging, so thank you, Judith. Um, we took turns uh, visiting with Rob for, for several weeks. Uh, sometimes we would be uh, solo, sometimes we'd be in tandem, but we go see him in his hospital room. And on most of those occasions, uh, Rob was pretty unresponsive, uh, non-communicative. So we thought, well, what are we gonna do? Um, so we decided to read to him. And uh, so we went to Judith and said, well, what does Rob like to read? And, and she said, well, he likes history and he likes political science. So we read a lot, I mean a lot, <laughs> of, of John Meacham and David Brooks. And finally, one day, I'd had so much of Meacham, whom, whom I really like, good Sewanee boy, but I could not read any more Meacham, so I read uh, to Rob from, uh, from Louis Grizzard, <laughs> great theologian. Uh, some of you all will, will remember, uh, humorist and columnist and so forth. Uh, but the thing is, uh, the words didn't matter. Uh, we said a lot of words, didn't, didn't mean a thing. It was our presence there with Rob that made all the difference in the world, and he knew we were there. We, we, we know that he felt that presence. So I know in a, in a pastoral visit, uh, everybody's always anxious about the words. Well, in, in um, uh, St. Benedict tells us listening is a lot more important than the words that you say. We are to listen with the ears of our heart. And let me tell you, that those weeks with Rob were just uh, very special and uh, holy and, uh, and sacred for all of us. Can I just say one thing about the, the hearing part of it? Mm -hmm. Is that it's good to be aware that people really can hear even if they can't respond at all. So the reading to them and, the, and um, what, whatever you read or what you say to people, if you think you're gonna say something to somebody next to you and they're not gonna hear it, they are. So I think everything about us heightens as we're dying. You know, our sensitivity of touch heightens and our hearing heightens. But um, I think it's a good thing to be aware of and reading to people when they, I mean, it's beautiful, and that, or just sitting and holding their hand. But um, I think it's really important to know that they hear until the end. <laughs> mm. Um, so there's a, a woman in New York who was a mentor to many of us over many generations, to a lot of clergy, a laywoman, um, from a time in, of a generation where women weren't ordained. So very supportive of a bunch of us, very excited about us. And one of my friends who had been mentored by her for, let's say, like 40, 50 years, just beloved, as she was dying, 
um, he was so heartbroken that he started to read the Psalms to her. And I swear that woman waited till he finished to die. He read, but he finished the he read all 140 whatever there are, and he got to that last thing, and she died. I mean, not hour, not an hour later. Um, that that your yourself stays right, and you have you have some weirdly some control in that time. Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like y'all have a lot of stories to tell me. Um, so Horace, can I? Um, <laughs> so one, t- tell this is a little bit technical, but. There are a number of ministries in your area that are about our congregation standing alongside one another um, through critical times in, in life and death. Um, can, can you tell us a little, a little bit about those? Um, so that we under, This is so that you understand what's possible, both to ask for help from, but also to participate in. Yeah, thank you. Um, I sure have had a lot of experience with this area in the last couple of years. Um, more than I mean, it's been it's been really heavy. It's been d- tough, including yesterday's funeral. Um, just being with the family and helping them through that time. Um, hospice was a gift to be a hospice chaplain a year before coming here, which really prepared me coming out of the academic world into to this area. But I think having converse Brad Curry. Let me just say something about Brad Curry. Uh, I think Brad Curry is a good model for us, uh, one who embraced his death, who planned his funeral, uh, as uh, Winnie noted in her uh, wonderful uh, homily, that it, it is, we're going to, and I think becoming more comfortable, we, we have an opportunity to kind of lead the way in being more comfortable because he is an example of one who planned the service and what he wanted. And I was able to, and it's a gift to the family too. So, and I have these conversations with parishioners as well as the family members. So he, I was able to, when I met with the Curry children, I was able to say, well, he says right here, (laughs) he doesn't want any remembrances (laughs) or whatever it was. And so, and they were like, okay, you know, we're gonna honor that. And I encourage them to honor that. And of course, you know, most family members will do that. Uh, their um, thinking is, I, sometimes I don't know what to do or where to go. And it's really nice. So I'm glad we're going to start these classes to, to prepare. But I think um, a community in grief. So how has this, all of the deaths, how has this grief affected us? Um, I think one way it's, allowed us to think about our deaths more. Um, I think the pandemic is part of that as well because there's so been so much death in our, in our country, in our world, we hear about it on the news every day. And then in our, in our community here, even though they were not COVID deaths directly, um, I think there was an impact there. And certainly we've gone through uh, more deaths in the last year and a half than in, in my time here. And for many of you who've been here a long time, uh, more than certainly ever or a, for a long time. And so it gives us an opportunity to think about death, to think about how I prepare for death. So there have been some of those conversations. Um, what are things I need to do so that I can feel like I can have some closure to this life. And I think those are the conversations I have been engaged in with parishioners and inviting others and with Community of Hope and just 
uh, as we visit uh, others. There's one parishioner who has been wanting to die for a long time. Um, she's very, she's ready, which is a good place to be, uh, to be ready. And um, in her mind, she doesn't understand why she's still here. So trying to get her to think about the value of life here and that we have a time to die. And so trying to get some peace. So that's, that's a large part of the pastoral work I'm doing with this parishioner. Thank you. Yeah. And so, so Horace raised the issue of just the, the last couple of years where we've all had such an unusual relationship with death, right? We have these masks and these chemicals we can put on our hands and ways to protect ourselves and protect others. And most of us, frankly, most of us in communities like this aren't people that spend a lot of time worrying too much about things like that, right? And all of a sudden we've been told to care for ourselves in a, with, with attention that we're not used to, isolated from others, and then having to negotiate, um, almost all of us in our minds, what level of that is right for us, for our communities, um, is not overreacting. Just a bizarre way to think, frankly, every single day. So Jenna, uh, <laughs> can you say, I, I, feel really, I feel changed by this time and how I think about, one, the number of people that have died, but also how we are constantly thinking about the fact that we could be the reason that someone dies or we could be on our way to a, an untimely and difficult death. Do you find in, in, in the communities that you're a part of or in your work or in your, I don't know how to frame that for what COVID has been like for you, um, that we are changed? And if so, our, our awareness has changed? And if so, how? Well, I mean, I definitely think our awareness has changed. I think we're more aware of how things are transmitted and you know, how being, I mean, even wearing masks, how, how a lot of people haven't gotten sick with other things that we usually get sick with, you know, that we're very aware of, of how contagious we are to other people. But mm. I do think it's put a, a bigger fear in people of, um, you know, especially with COVID, that death could come quickly or death could come at any time. Or, mm. you know, we hear about somebody dying that they were just, you know, they got sick last night, they went to the hospital and they're gone now. Um, so much more of that in COVID. And so um, I think the biggest issue is the fear and then also our self-preservation. Um, we get a lot of miscommunication about what's safe and what's not. I mean, it's kind of like looking at everybody without masks and it's just, wow, I, I wore lipstick today. And um, <laughs> although my granddaughter told me it didn't match, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, I think that, you know, for me, it, it became my responsibility, which I don't usually think about. You know, I don't think people think about it's my responsibility to pre protect other people from me. It's not really, you know, if you have a mask on and I don't have mine, I'm not protecting you from me. Um, or, and, I'm, and you're not, I mean, I can still get sick. So, um, or you can still get sick from me too. And so anyway, I just think it's a, a place to look at yourself as what's my responsibility in my role for living a healthy life and staying healthy. And, um, and I think COVID just made me much more aware of it. And a lot of people much more aware that we have a role to play in how we manage our health. John, has, has your experience of community of hope been impacted by, by the virus? Well, certainly, uh, we've all been impacted with it. Um, I have to stick with personal experiences here because otherwise I will be talking about something that I know nothing about. So uh, I, I did want to share this, though. 
Um, over the last uh, two years, I've lost uh, two of the, my best, dearest, lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And actually, that had nothing to do with COVID, but in this, in this same context. Um, one died from cancer and one from dementia. Um, Jack, who had uh, stage four cancer and was getting bombarded with chemo every two weeks, but was still mobile and could communicate and could get around with a walker. And so on the weeks that he wasn't getting blasted uh, with chemo, we'd, we'd go to lunch. And I was scared to death that he was going to, no pun intended there, uh, <laughs> I was really afraid that he was going to ask me about end-of-life issues. How much longer do you think I should go on with these treatments or something like that? Well, heck, he didn't want to talk about that. He, he wanted to talk about the time we were 12 years old and my shoe came off and he picked it up and threw it up in a magnolia tree and it stuck up there 30 <laughs> feet off the ground. And I don't think I ever got that shoe back. <laughs> it might still be up there. But, but, but that's what he wanted to, to talk about. And my other friend, John, with dementia, could barely speak at all. You know, he was to the point with his disease where he still had the thoughts, but just couldn't verbalize. That, that connection just wasn't there anymore. So uh, I stayed with John a couple of, uh, couple of nights, and it, and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time for both of us. Um, <laughs> with, with his wife gone, we got to eat whatever we wanted to. <laughs> we got to have plenty of ice cream for dessert, and we got to watch uh, any Western movie on TV that we wanted to. So we watched The Magnificent Seven one night and Silverado the next night, and, and, and it was wonderful. Um, but again, the, the words didn't matter. It was the presence uh, that counted. And you know, we all have our own pastoral care ministries to our family and friends. And it, it can be uh, certainly a sacred and, and holy time as well. Yeah. No, I just one more thing about that. It just made me realize that um, because this happens and people had, were leaving us quicker than we knew or so quickly I, I started thinking about getting in touch with people that I do care about and you know writing notes to people um, just a note to say I'm thinking about you whatever now instead of wishing that we had after somebody goes or waiting until we're going to die and then say oh I better tell all these people things but I, I it really COVID has really made me think that as well is to be able to tell other people we care about them because I think as a community in COVID, we really realized we have to care about each other. Yeah. And, um, and if we say it out loud to people, or I mean, it, I mean, it makes me feel better to write the note, but hopefully it'll make the person receiving the note feel better as well. So that was just a thought. That's yeah. a great. Th one of the great things about pastoral care, right, is that um, for all the important training, and I, I don't have the kind of training that, that Horace has in this, but it feels like that all these complex things that we want to understand sitting next to someone whose life is about to end and in the end it almost comes down essentially to
being thankful and being present, right? Like encouraging people, encouraging us to not be afraid to say the simple thing that we are grateful or thankful and that it's okay to sit by someone and not have a word to say because that's actually probably exactly the right thing. So Horace, will you talk to us about the ministry of presence? Oh yes, Um, thank you. I taught that for many years, seminarians of um, just listening to people who need to share. Um, There was one woman who was 94, I think, I found out. She She had been raped at 17. And she had not told anyone all those years, but as she was dying, she needed to say that. And this is, again, a freeing, being able to talk about those things that you've held, and that's part of the release. I was um, the hospice chaplain at a VA hospital. So many veterans who had done things, who had seen things, um, and they really struggled with that. So being able to listen, for them to get it off their chest, to say it to someone is part of this kind of confession or release, liberation. But then I provide a ministry of presence to be able to sit there as I invited others to just not say anything. Sometimes you shouldn't say some things because people, well, I don't know what to say. And, And I've heard so many horror stories, people saying the wrong thing and really upsetting people or um, maybe putting guilt on people in, in, those time, in that time. And sometimes it's, not, it's just not important. It's just to be present, uh, to give a non-anxious presence so that they can feel that you're comfortable with what they're sharing. And then to have that ministry of presence, just holding space. So I'm going to put you all on the spot, and all three of you have to answer this, right? So, okay. so say I'm at my doctor's office, and I get some really bad news. I'm hmm. a member of St. Luke's, um, and I've, I'm facing my mortality, and it's, it's not going to be that long. And I call the St. Luke's number, because I don't know what else to do. And I say, um, I'm leaving a message, because I've just found out that I'm, gonna, I'm dying. What's going to happen next? I'll start with Horace, but I'm going to ask all of you to answer that. Okay. Um, first thing I would do is invite that person if, if they wanted a conversation or they wanted me to go to be present with them which I would of course prioritize that and to have a conversation with them and first I would ask um, of course I would express my sorrow and to talk about how this person is loved in this community and then I would ask them what they would need what are some of their needs for me at this point, given that news? How can I be helpful to them? Because sometimes we think we know what the person wants or their needs, and we haven't heard from them. So to invite them into that space and then um, let then hear what they would have to say. And then just support them. Be that ministry of presence uh, for the time they have and probably a conversation that would value what they've given this community or given life and say that somehow in what I say Jenna you get a call that I've called St. Luke's and said <laughs> I got some really bad news and you get a call asking you to call me what happens yeah, yeah. I, I would be happy to call but my my um, my thoughts on it is I would probably have you tell me exactly what you were told by the doctor and how what was said and you know whatever because then my medical processing would have help and um 
and then I would say, well, you know, I mean, it's really important for me to make sure that people live every day they're alive. And so to help people find gratitude and things, but that wouldn't be the initial conversation. Um, you know, you're going to hear, hear them out, and, and I think they just need to say it out loud. They need to express it and their fear and their anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, sometimes I've prayed with people on the phone, and, um, and I've met with people um, just to, to talk about it and, and how to plan a meaningful death. If they really, I don't really go right into death right away because mm-hmm. sometimes that doesn't happen. A lot of people have told people that they're going to die very soon, and they don't. They don't. Yeah. So, um, so I think, we, I, it, to me, it's focusing on the living at first, Thank you. for mm-hmm. sure. And then, John, what if you're, you're sitting in the library after church one day at your Community of Hope meeting, and my <coughs> name is on your list? What happens, what happens next? Well, I take my cues from this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> but not always well. We... Um, when we get the word from Horace, uh, it, it can mean a personal visit. It can mean checking in with a phone call. And it, we've written a lot of notes, <laughs> personal handwritten notes, um, certainly during the uh, lockdown uh, period during COVID when we couldn't be present with someone. But... Um, uh, that's sort of an, a, a lost art hand note writing, but I think those of us uh, on the community of hope really mm-hmm. enjoy doing that, and who doesn't love to receive a handwritten note? So mm-hmm. it, it could be any combination of, of those whatsoever, but we uh, follow the boss here. <laughs> Well, and I was just thought about one more thing that is that if you told me you had cancer or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think one thing that's important is to change the verbiage is I'm living with cancer. I'm not dying from cancer. Uh-huh. And I think that's really helpful. And how they may feel about it. Um, you know, always prayer there, prayer for whatever is coming forth. Um, and, and we do pray for miracles and modern, uh, the miracle of modern medicine. Um, but also how, how we frame that because God is answering prayer, our prayers. It may not be how we are thinking, but even to, to, change, to, to get our way of thinking about death in a, in a different way, to prepare us for that. And I think we all should be prepared. Some, knowing that we're dying can be a huge gift because you have time to do those things. And if we just died later today where we didn't have that time to plan. So which is why one reason I encourage people to, to do all that work, to get everything ready because we know not the hour we will leave here and just be ready always. May I put in a plug, uh, Winnie? We have this uh, workbook Uh, in the church offices downstairs uh, the title is plan while you can (laughs) (laughs) sort of provocative uh, title brings a sense of uh, urgency Mm -hmm. uh, to the process Uh, true confession I found an earlier version of this in my desk at home from about 15 years ago unfilled out and buried under Lord knows what, 
but it is my intention to actually fill this out, make copies, and, and distribute to the church and to other um, uh, interested parties. But it, it's really helpful. There are a lot of resources in here uh, about writing an obituary and people to notify. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but notice there is a message here in here from the Good Shepherd Society. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't forget to take care of your church uh, family. <laughs> So, and I understand we're going to have another session uh, about this very thing in in uh, in April. Yeah, my understanding is we're going to do that in the afternoons. It'll be Sunday after church, so we'll have some food. You'll have some time with this. We'll update that if it's needed. Um, I hope you heard the message loud and clear. We'll take your money in life and death. I think is the message. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's good to be able to laugh, right? Um, but that's it's a wonderful tool actually um, towards that. So. So I, I, I hope you heard that this is a community that is wrapped in prayer and in the crises of your life, it's a community that's here for you and wants to be here for you. And this is just some of, I, mean, I, I can see Daughters of the King and members of other groups here who are the, the people here that yeah. pray and stand alongside um, people in this community when we're going through tough times and for all that will be at some point for all of us in our lives. and. Um, and know that if you haven't reached out in those times or worry that we're too busy or something like that, please don't. There are plenty of people here and plenty of people here eager to exercise their critical ministries like taking your money, making you a casserole, mm -hmm. um, writing you a note. Um, so um, if, you, if you know of people that are in need of that kind of support, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to this church and know that there are plenty of people here um, eager um, to, to stand alongside you. Mm -hmm. So um, if you have questions, we're, some of us are going to go get ready for the service. Some people will stay here. Um, so please do come up for those. But um, as we leave, if, if you all would thank this fine panel for the conversation today. <laughs>